Welcome to the First Church Message of the Week podcast. Thanks for listening in. As we prepare for the coming season of Lent that starts with Ash Wednesday, we pause to reflect on ways that Jesus prepared himself for his journey to the cross. In the moments of Jesus' transfiguration, we not only heard affirmations of the importance of following Jesus, but also Jesus' invitation in the moments that follow for the disciples to get up and do not be afraid. May we enter this coming season without fear and with confidence that God comes with us, providing the strength, courage, and hope we need for that which we know is coming and that which is beyond the unexpected. In this message of the week from February 27th, we hear from Pastor Jen Tyler and how Matthew 17 challenges us to get up and do not be afraid. Here is the First Church message of the week. This passage that Sandy refers to of Jesus on the mountaintop comes from the book of Matthew in the 17th chapter. I'm going to read the first nine verses of Matthew 17. It says, six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three dwellings here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud a voice said, This is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up and do not be afraid. And when they looked up, They saw no one except Jesus himself alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. Here ends our scripture reading today. Why don't you pray with me? Faithful and loving God, as we... Hear this, your word, we ask that you would continue to open our ears that we might see you more clearly, open our eyes that we might see you clearly in our midst and our hearts as we seek to love you more deeply. God, may you rid us from any and all distractions so that all that we see and hear and know and feel and speak are of you. Amen. So... One of my favorite themes in scripture that is found often in both the Old and New Testament is one of those themes of light and darkness. Part of when we hear the story of Jesus' transfiguration, I think of that. I think of how Jesus, we are told, his face shone like the sun and his clothes became dazzling white. 
And as I picture this scene with these vivid details, it's hard for me to hear or read these words and not think about light, specifically about light contrasted with darkness. And it makes me wonder when we most notice the light. Because for me, the times that I most notice the light are in those moments when we move quickly from darkness into light or the other way around, right? Moving from uh, light into darkness when it's suddenly pitch black and you can't see a thing. Some of you may know that I am not a morning person. I have probably said this almost more than anything else in some of my sharing. And so there are times when I think of moving from darkness into light, and I think of those days when you have to rise early in a dark room before the sun has begun to creep in to slowly wake you. And I think of how much I always dread turning the light on for the first time almost every day. I also specifically think of some stories like when I was at camp or on my cross-country bike trip, those mornings came really early on our bike trip. We often rose many hours before the sun to begin riding in the dark in the cool before the heat of the day got to us. And on that bike trip, our team was about 18 people. And so we took turns serving as what we called the morning captain. And it was the morning captain's job to make sure that everyone got up and moving each day. Now, some folks were really good morning captains. Those are the ones who I would say came around and they gently woke everyone with kind words or a soft touch on the shoulder. And then there were people like Greg. Greg, much though I love him, was my least favorite morning captain because I knew if it was his turn, two things were likely to happen. And the first always happened if we were lucky, the second did. The first was that when he got up, if you heard his alarm, you groaned a little and you'd roll your sleeping bag over your head because you knew the first thing he was going to do when he got up was turn on all the lights and yell out, good morning, get up. And then if we were really lucky, the second thing would happen, and he would begin singing a rousing version of his favorite song, Rise and Shine. Sometimes we were ready for the light. On those mornings, we had to rise early when we would let the light gently pour into our lives as we would wake up slowly, moving towards it, adjusting to it, one light turned on at a time. And then there were those other times when we wanted nothing more but to close ourselves off to the world, to nestle deeper into our sleeping bags and our pillows and put our earplugs in and pretend like surely if I close my eyes, Greg's going to stop singing, right? But no matter how hard we tried, we could never really stay there for very long. We knew that the day was waiting for us, that the light was always going to win. The light always wins. I knew that even if I closed my eyes and my tired mind wanted to think otherwise, my fear of this light could not suffice for long. And I needed quite literally to get up, to get up from sleep, to get up from my place of comfort, to get up from being idle, or to get up from those places of darkness or fear 
that we live in. Much though I am not a morning person, this imagery of getting up has potential to redefine the importance of rising each day, of rising beyond ourselves and into something greater in the world that's waiting for us. And in our gospel passage that I just read from the book of Matthew, Jesus is telling his disciples to do that exact same thing. He has led them to a mountain where we are told he is transfigured before them. To be transfigured literally means to change thoroughly in bodily shape or form. And so in this story of Jesus' transfiguration, we are told that Jesus not only looked different in this moment with the bright shining lights and his dazzling white clothes, but we're also told that he was different, that he had somehow taken on this new form that was different from what he had been before. Now I want to pause there as we reflect on him taking on this new form, as he does so, we are told he suddenly begins talking to two people, Moses and Elijah. Now, Moses and Elijah were not just any two random people. Moses is the ultimate representative of God's law. We know through stories of scripture that he himself got to encounter God lots of times, face to face. He got to see the burning bush that we all love to joke we had more often in our lives, right? And he got to see God on that mountaintop when God gave him what we know as the Ten Commandments. Moses, then, is the ultimate representative of God's law. And the other person on the mountaintop with Jesus that day was Elijah, who was one of the greatest prophets of Israel. Elijah, there are a lot of stories and truths we could tell about why he was an important prophet, but one of the most well-known and favorite stories about him is how he was one of only two prophets in the Old Testament who went up into heaven without ever having died, as we are told in scripture that he was carried up into heaven in a whirlwind. These two men appear on the mountaintop alongside Jesus with Peter and James and John looking on. And with the disciples watching, we are told that Moses and Elijah start talking to Jesus, likely startling the disciples. I'm pretty sure if two people just randomly appeared in front of me and started talking, I'd be surprised, right? And it is in that moment that we are told that Peter decides he should start talking too, he names things like how it was good for them to be there and perhaps they should make dwelling places there for these three holy men. Now I hear that Peter immediately responds by processing out loud what he was wondering. Sandy talked about how sometimes in the greatest moments of our lives, we don't want them to end. And sometimes in those moments, we get a fix, don't we? On wondering how we can stretch the moment out instead of being fully present in the moment. It reminds me a little today of how some people, when you go to an event or you're in some big celebratory moment, people take their cameras out and they watch behind the camera instead of fully being present in the moment, right? That's kind of what Peter's doing here. 
He's talking through the moment, trying to process out loud what he can do to savor the moment then and there. But by talking about the moment and through the moment, he's also kind of ruining it, isn't he? The same example of taking pictures in a moment is why you see more and more in wedding bulletins an invitation for folks during the ceremony to put your phone down and let the photographers do their job, right? Have you seen that? In the same way, Peter here is so busy thinking about what's next and how to mark this incredible moment by building this monument to remember it that he failed to be fully present. He was so busy thinking about how to remember all that he had seen so far that he wasn't open to what could still be coming. And he didn't see what was coming next. What was coming next, of course, was this voice from God. A voice that comes from the cloud and says, this is my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Now, I cannot imagine the intentionality of these words, words, by the way, that are hard for me to hear and not immediately think of the moment of Jesus' baptism when similar words were spoken. And I cannot help but to hear the ending of this sentence and think, gosh, this is an invitation for something we already know, isn't it? When it tells us that not only is Jesus God's son, the beloved with whom God is well pleased, but it also comes with an instruction to listen to him. Listen to Jesus, God says in this moment. Don't speak when we're called to listen. Don't try to protect what you know or have already seen. Don't be distracted by the plans that we make or the things that we could build or the things that we can buy. But instead, be open. Listen to God. Be open to hearing words of scripture in new ways as we are called to expand our understanding beyond that which we already know, that which makes us comfortable. Instead, it says, listen to Jesus with whom God is well pleased. And as we listen together, I cannot help but to wonder what we might hear. Because in these words of scripture before us today, we hear both a promise about who Jesus is and a command with how to honor that. We hear a voice of wisdom and a voice of encouragement, a promise and a directive. A directive that comes from Jesus himself when he turns and says to his disciples, get up and do not be afraid. It makes me wonder, as I believe that Jesus' words are as much for us here today as they were for the disciples then, what are you afraid of? What are you needing to let go of, to be freed from, to quite literally get up from, or to get up for? Do not be afraid 
is one of the most common phrases in all of scripture, and it is one that frames Jesus' life and ministry and death. Their words said to Mary, mother of Jesus, in those moments she first is told with a visit from the angel Gabriel that she is with child and that she will give birth to the Lord and our Savior. Do not be afraid, the angel says to her. They are words that Jesus speaks to Mary at the tomb in his moment of resurrection and appearance when he says to her, do not be afraid. To Jesus' disciples on the mountains this day, he speaks those words again to them and to us as he says, do not be afraid. What are you afraid of? Because sometimes... I think the things we're afraid of aren't the obvious ones that we talk about, right? Some of us might be afraid of the dark or spiders or all those other lists of fears that we all have and know, right? But sometimes we're also full of fears of inconvenience, like not wanting to be woken up in the brutal glaring lights flashed on in a dark, silent, comfortable room first thing in the morning, Sometimes we find ourselves afraid of the things that we don't think we're ready for. Other times, our fear takes on tangible forms of questions of the unknown, like questions about how to deal with addictions or violence or medical diagnoses or changing relationships. Other times, still we find ourselves with fears or questions of the unknown of what lies ahead, not just in our own lives, but in the lives of our community or our world. Maybe today we come with fear for people or countries with whom we have little, if any, connections as we hold Ukraine close in our hearts and prayers. We could go on and on, couldn't we, with the list of things that make us uneasy or afraid? But the truth is, Jesus wants you to take all that fear that lies within us and to give it over to him. He wants you to give it over to him in order for it to stop holding you back so that you can be set free and able to do as he tells the disciples to do when he says to them, get up. For that which is waiting for you, get up. On this Transfiguration Sunday, the day that we remember Jesus changing on that mountaintop, we are invited to consider how that change might speak to the change that we're called to get up for and to as well. What change are you called to be a part of, even and perhaps especially if the very change that we are called to is part of what we're afraid of? Because it's easy to be afraid of the things that we can't imagine, isn't it? And yet that is exactly what transfiguration is. It is something that we cannot imagine because it is an opportunity for us, like Jesus in that moment, to become something and someone entirely different than we have been before. And in that way, it is an opportunity for us, like Jesus and his disciples, to also heed these words as we choose to get up 
and to not be afraid. Friends, I wonder what fear or hesitation or setback God may be calling you to let go of. What transformation is God calling you and us into? In this coming week, we are going to jump, ready or not, into a new season we call Lent. A season that is meant to help us to prepare mind, body, and spirit for all that God is longing to do within and around us. It is a time for us to heed these words in literal ways as we seek to get up, to draw closer to God, to let go of our fears as we find new ways to listen for the voice of God that continues to create and to invite around and within us. But to do that, we first have to get up to listen and interact with God who calls us to go forth, not just into the world, but leaning into that dazzling light of Jesus, that we might reflect that very same light to all around us for all to see. May it be so. Let's pray together. Holy, loving, transforming God. We thank you for your light and your life that shines within and around us. And we ask, oh God, that this day that you would help us to find the courage and the strength and the wisdom, not only to get up, but to know and discern that which you are calling us to. Help us, God, to let go of and to turn over all of our fears that we might fully trust in you. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us for the First Church Message of the Week. To stay connected, subscribe to this podcast and follow us on Facebook. For more information on our church calendar, visit our website at watertownfirst.church. This has been the First Church Message of the Week.